Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me today on this really nice and steamy Saturday. Um, I know the X kicked off yesterday. It's sort of hard to miss if you live in town because it's it's always on the news, it's on the radio. And uh, I didn't grow up here, so I don't have the, these like nostalgic childhood memories of the X like a lot of people do. And I know that's the reason why a lot of people return because they have memories of going there as a kid. Then they have their own kids. Then they want to go there and uh, experience it as a family. Um, but I think the other thing that has sort of changed about the X in recent years, and I've been here, I've been in Toronto for uh, over 20 years now. And in recent years, I feel like part of the draw is what is the craziest food uh, you can think of? And let's deep fry it, and then we'll serve it at the X. So in addition to like the rides and the shows and the things you can do down there, it seems like a big draw is this is this crazy, wacky um, sandwich that's wrapped in bacon, deep fried and covered in whipped cream. Come down and try it. So it seems uh, what I've been noticing a lot is people kind of Instagramming and showing these things like this hot dog covered in crickets. Um, so these kind of novelty food items... I'm not a huge fan of them, but I I can appreciate people being curious about them. So I'd love to know, because as someone who did not grow up going to the X and has been maybe twice in the 20 years I've been here, uh, text in 71010. Let me know uh, what it is that brings you down to the X. And I would love to know if there's a food item that you want to have when you're down there. Hey, it could be Tiny Tom's Donuts. That's sort of the classic now. But maybe it's, you know, the mealworms and crickets ground into food or this, um, oh, I saw people eating this thing. It's like a chocolate eclair with the whipped cream and then it's got pork in it. So maybe it's your thing. Maybe you want to eat the wild and wacky. Text in, let me know what it is that brings you down to the X and uh, tell me if there is a, a certain food item that you want to try or maybe you hit it on the first day and you've already been and you've tried it already. Let me know. 7, 10, 10. Um, today's show is for two kinds of people. Food lovers and animal lovers. So coming up in the second half of the show, I'll take, uh, I'll chat with cookbook author and food writer Amy Rosen about En Route Magazine's Canada's best new restaurants list. Now there's a lot of top 10 lists, top 100 lists that come out, um, but this is a list that many people take very seriously because it is published in the magazine. And because it is uh, Air Canada's magazine, a lot of travelers read it. And then you could be, let's say, flying to Calgary, not familiar with it. You read it, you see that, hey, there's these three hot new restaurants in Calgary, rip that page out, and those are the places you're going to visit. So this list really does have a huge impact on the restaurants that are nominated um, and mentioned because it can really, really do a lot for their business. Um, as you know, lots of fantastic restaurants across the country, but it can be hard to stand out and get noticed sometimes. So uh, we will talk to Amy about uh, the the restaurants that you can vote for and also how you can win a trip for two just by voting. So we'll have that coming up in the show. Uh, but my first guest, well, I have two uh, lovely women in studio and a dog. So I've got three guests. So only two of them are on the microphone. I'll let you guess which ones. Uh, my guest, Carly... <laughs> Carly Whirl uh, from Coveted Canines and Nicole Simone, who's also from Coveted Canines and Redemption Dogs. Uh, so welcome and welcome Buttercup, 
who's now in uh, Carly's lap. So Carly, uh, Buttercup is a dog that is that you are fostering. Is this correct? Yes. Okay. And so she'll be up for adoption, or is she adoptable yet? Um, I'm not. We're not sure what we're going to be doing with Buttercup since she does need some medical, mm-hmm. um, long term medical. So. We're, we're really not quite sure. Oh, okay. might be sort of forever foster. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So let's tell people what Coveted Canines is because it, it's a it's a wonderful organization, uh, not-for-profit, that's run by a group of dedicated volunteers like yourself yes. who do it all um, on volunteer hours, but that's a lot of hours. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so you rescue dogs. Yes, we do. Okay. So tell me a bit more about Coveted Canines. We uh, focus mostly on saving dogs from kill shelters mm-hmm. and uh, we take in owner surrenders. Um, it's a, it's a foster based nonprofit um, dog rescue that's run out of Toronto. Um, it's about a 60 uh, person volunteer run rescue. Wow. They take in that's a, that's tons a big of dogs. It's a lot of people and they take in dogs from um, uh, anywhere from the States, Canada, Mexico, and internationally. So when you say from, um, from you rescue them from, did you say kill shelters? High kill shelters. High kill shelters. What does that mean to people who are, are, are listening? They're the ones that they have too many dogs and so they do euthanize them. High kill shelters are very different than a shelter you'd see in Toronto. These are often in rural areas, um, you know, Alabama, Kentucky, rural Ontario, um, sometimes in Quebec. northern provinces in Quebec. Yes. Um, and, um, and these dogs uh, have no way of finding a home, so they're often networked out to rescues. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then adopted out through foster-based. And foster-based means that there isn't an actual shelter. It's just people taking dogs as like temporary dog sitting um, until the dogs are adopted. So uh, because you operate um, on a with volunteers, and as Nicole just mentioned, you don't have a place where like, okay, we've got 10 dogs that come in. We can put them here right now. You are always looking for a temporary home for them. Yes. But did you just get like five dogs in the past 48 hours? And since Tuesday. <laughs> okay. But we've already had... Three foster fails. What does meaning that mean? Meaning the, the foster decided to keep the dog that they were fostering. It's a good thing. Oh, yes. okay. The fail part yeah. made me think it was yeah. terrible. Like, yeah. they, like yeah. someone said, I will take the dog. No, I won't take the dog. And then you're left in this situation where you're like, well, what do I do with them? So yeah. that, so the fail part is misleading. Yeah, it's great. It, it's good. It's yeah. good. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes that means that they're not able to foster anymore, but it, it's still a, a positive thing for the rescue. So is it that you have sort of a roster of people who you know you can call on to foster because they know what the situation is, they know what they need to do? They fill out an application. Mm-hmm. The application is very specific. It asks the types of dogs, sizes, weights, ages, and then we place them in the appropriate foster home. Okay. Yes. So, you know, if you're a small dog foster, Mm -hmm. then we'll call you when we have one in that meets your um, requirements. Oh, I see. So I could say to you, like, look, I live in 500 square feet, a tiny condo. uh, Maybe I need a really lazy dog. Exactly. (laughs) One that doesn't need a lot of space. And doesn't bark a lot. Seniors are wonderful for that. Senior, I have two senior dogs that I've adopted and I live in a condo and they're amazing. They're so happy. Oh, really? I thought you meant senior, like old people. No. Old (laughs) dogs. They probably are great too for that because uh, to tell you the truth, my my uncle who's well into his 70s and has hip problems, the only reason he gets any exercise is because they have a little dog. Yeah. And like he kind of, he grumbles about it, but I also think, thank God for that dog because he would never go outside. Dogs exactly. do Otherwise. prolong life um, expectancy in senior citizens for sure. I'd love you to text in if you're listening and if you're a dog lover, 7, 10, 10, or if you're interested perhaps in uh, fostering, um, I'd love to know your story. If you have a dog, uh, if you've ever rescued, foster 
registered a dog ad- adopted, uh, share your story with us, 71010. We're going to talk a bit more about, uh, about fostering, which leads to adoption, because a lot of people, I think, think of adopting or getting a pet, which is permanent, right? So when you, you make the decision uh, yourself or as a family, you think, are we going to bring a dog into the home? Um, I personally prefer that people uh, rescue versus going to the pet store. I'm quite uh, vocal about that. Some people do choose to go to the pet store or uh, to a breeder because you want a specific kind of dog. Um, but I think people forget that sometimes you can do that in between. Yes. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you have, you know, if you're a teacher and you have the summer off, you know, it's it's a two to four week commitment um, and you get to kind of choose which dog you take. No one's forcing a dog upon you. All the costs are covered by the rescue. You're really just dog sitting, but at the end you're saving a life. That's, um, it's pretty uh, impactful when you think about, you know, offering up a couple of weeks of your time, especially if you're someone who does love dogs like myself, exactly. but who has a very unpredictable work schedule and knows that it's not ideal to have a, to commit to a dog for the next 10 plus years. Uh, but you want to help out in some way. And then these are dogs that, like you said, would be euthanized otherwise, right? Absolutely. And I mean, one of our fosters, um, she lost her dog. Um, I had helped her adopt her dog years ago and she lost her dog to cancer and to help her get over her dog because she wasn't ready for a new dog. She fostered a puppy and it was a really positive experience and it can be fostering can be really healing to people too. Oh yeah. I believe that as well because I think, um, I've lost, uh, I grew up with, with dogs. So throughout my childhood, we always had dogs and losing a dog was like, it, it is very much like losing a family member. And I know a lot of people then have a very hard time, uh, thinking about bringing another pet in because that, that pain is so either it's so fresh or it's so memorable and how Nothing's going to replace your dog. Mm-hmm. All yeah. dogs are different. They they really are unique, and you have to keep that in mind. You know, nothing's going to replace my dog Charlie, but I absolutely love my dog Erwin. It's it's you know variety, and they all bring something different to my life, and hopefully, I bring something to their <laughs> <Yeah>. life. <laughs> well, I'm sure you do. I think the work that you do, uh, do is fantastic. So uh, the women and Buttercup, who's very quiet right now, uh, they're going to stick around uh, for the next segment after the break. If you have any questions about fostering or adopting, you can text in at seven ten ten. And we'll also tell you about a little fundraiser that they're having tomorrow uh, downtown near Trinity Bellwoods Park, where if you do have a dog, you can go down and get a really lovely professional portrait taken of your pet. And uh, we'll chat more about uh, what they're looking for in terms of foster parents and uh, the kind of, and the dogs that they actually, they currently have. Buttercup looks so relaxed right now. She's is- my love. <laughs> She's great. You listen to the Page 10 Show here on In-Depth Radio News Talk at 1010. Just a reminder, if you want to catch uh, podcasts of the show, you can always do that by logging on to my website. It's paychen.com. Also, Twitter and Instagram at Paychen. This is the Paychen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Calling all animal lovers, particularly dog lovers. I don't know anyone who says, I love animals, but not dogs. <laughs> I feel like dogs are one of the most likable and lovable, but I am biased. Uh, would you agree that having a dog has improved your life? I'd love you to text in uh, 71010. I feel like... Um, I personally feel that dog lovers are, uh, they're, they're warmer people. And my guests in studio probably agree. I have Carly Whirl from Coveted Canines as well as Nicole Simone, who's also from Coveted Canines. Um, and Coveted Canines is a dog rescue. So not for, uh, not for profit. And you rescue dogs, uh, not just locally, but sometimes you do bring them in from other countries. Yes. 
And, you know, we did have someone text in and, and ask about quarantine or diseases. Now, how do you uh, make sure that the dog coming in is uh, is fine to come into the country? We um, follow protocols mm-hmm. based on the state or the shelter that they're coming from. They're quarantine protocols. Yes. And... Um, for instance, Arkansas, Texas, those states, it's a minimum of 21 days, but mm-hmm. they're usually in quarantine for longer. Places like Mexico, depending on the shelter that you're working with, it's a minimum of 32 days. Okay. So the dogs are checked out before mm-hmm. they come. And then I know from talking to you just before we came onto the show that uh, a big part of the cost is the the vet cost, right? Because yes. you get them all checked out. They get vetted in the the place of origin, and then they also get rechecked once they're in Canada. So when people are interested, I know some people are interested in fostering and and knowing what that requires. What do you ask of people who are interested in bringing a dog into their home for a short period? Um, Definitely, you know, having that time commitment, making sure that if they live in a condo, that the condo allows dogs. Um, making sure that they're prepared. You know, these dogs are coming from different situations. Dogs are incredibly resilient and they tend to leave the past in the past. Um, but, you know, maybe there's some house training or there's some type of, um, you know, thing they need to work with. Maybe they've, they've never walked stairs before. So there might be special things that people, you know, need to know before they get the foster. But the foster is picked um, by the rescue in the foster home itself. Um, and it is a, you know, a short commitment, two to four weeks. It's just like dog sitting. Um, we're looking for fosters right now at covetedcanines.org. Um, as we're always, you know, we, there's such a demand for, um, rescue dogs in Toronto. It's amazing, but there's not a lot of people who are willing to do the temporary, you know, commitment. And one, you know, important thing is like, well, I don't want to give away the dog. It's really hard. I've personally fostered. I've become a fairy dog mother. I get Christmas <laughs> cards from yes. the dogs I fostered out and <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. So you keep in touch. They're, these dogs aren't just going into the abyss. You know, yes. they, they stay a part of your life. They do. Well, and we pay for everything. We supply crates, beds, food, oh, toys, poo bags, all the vetting. We pay for all the vetting. Wow. That's great. So for someone who would like to, you know, consider fostering, it doesn't, it will not be a huge expense for them. It should not cost them anything. Okay. Um, unless, you know, they're willing to drive to a vet appointment and right. there's like a parking. And know, I would fee. hope that that person would be willing to do that, you know, because it's exactly. a bit of a time commitment. Now, can someone who has, let's say a nine to five, 40 to 50 hour a week job foster, or do you prefer someone who is home a lot? We don't really like to use fosters that are out of the home for more than seven hours unless we can organize a dog walker. Okay. And why is that? Just because they do need a little bit of extra attention? Yes. It's, and- a, it's a lot of adjustment time for a dog, especially dogs who are coming from maybe another home, and then all of a sudden they're in a high-kill shelter, and then all of a sudden they're in this different home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to have somebody around um, you know, to check in on the dog to make sure they're not having anxiety or stress or, or any type of needs. So um, so definitely, um, you know, I work in 9 to 5. I have two dogs I fostered before, and I have a dog walker. There's many in the city of Toronto in the oh, GTA. Yeah, I see them. Yeah. All the time. Uh, dog daycare. Um, and it's great, you know, and having a dog walker and dog daycare also helps socialize the dogs and exposes them to more places, people, mm-hmm. things. So it's a positive thing. What about kids? Are kids ideal in a foster environment? We generally um, don't work with families with children under mm-hmm. the age of 10. Okay. Unless all the dogs come to my house and mm-hmm. I observe them for 24 hours in my own home. Okay. And I have three young children. So I pretty much have a sense of mm-hmm. the dogs and if they're okay with children, they do get behaviorally assessed before they arrive. Okay. Um, 
but just in case, sometimes children have to learn about boundaries. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so we have worked with some families where we know the children really, really well, but we tend to be very careful. Now, is there a type of dog that is harder to adopt out because uh, maybe, I don't know if it's a certain breed or age? Maybe people don't want the older dogs. Is there one that's a bit more older of a challenge? Older dogs are actually more in demand now because people are realizing that the commitment of a puppy and the cost and the energy that goes into it, they mm-hmm. might not have it. I just adopted an eight-year-old dog. Uh, from Kentucky and he's housebroken. He's perfect. He just fit right in with our family and it's amazing. Um, But in terms of certain types of dogs, um, you know, chihuahuas are very common in rescue. They're a very misunderstood breed and they they tend to sit around and rescue a lot. Um, And sometimes mutts too, just like mixes. Um, Black dogs uh, are always last to be adopted, Um, you know, dogs along those lines. But it's really, you know, French bulldogs, pugs, those dogs always go first. Right. Mm -hmm. Those are very, um, I don't want to use the word trendy, but they're the kind of no, they're absolutely. very trendy, they're on popular dogs. Shiba Inus, Pugs, yeah, Frenchies, they're all over Toronto. Just go to Liberty Village. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go to any dog park, you can see it there. So now very quickly, you do have a fundraising event tomorrow, right? So you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, we have a photo fundraiser mm-hmm. um, with an amazing photographer named Connie and I know Connie saying yes. Okay, Connie and I actually went to Ryerson together, so it, it, that's how we go back quite. She's far. a fantastic photographer. It's a really great way to get a, a great portrait of your dog. It's from twelve to four tomorrow. It's a suggested donation of fifteen dollars, um, and it's at the Dog Bowl, which is at, on Dundas West, right, nine eighty four so, Dundas West. Okay, and I know that it's kind of at the top of Trinity Bellwoods Park. So basically, if you're at the park, um, it's the north end of it and you'll see the dog bowl there. So from 12 to 4, people can bring their dog down. Yeah, and get a professional photo and people, you know, if their dog has like a cool bandana or wants want to wear something, you can be as fun with it or you can just go classic chic. It's totally up to you, but it's for a great cause. And uh, Nicole, you actually have a photo project that you've done called Redemption Dogs, right? right? I've been doing rescue for the last 10 years um, and I have a photo series called Redemption Dogs, which is like Humans of New York for rescue dogs. And I'm in the process of publishing um, my first book. I've documented 300 rescue stories between wow. um, Toronto and Brooklyn, New York mm-hmm. um, at redemptiondogs.com. And um, that's continuing on. Um, Toronto is a tremendous uh, a community for rescue dogs. We are one of the safest places in the world, unless you're a pit bull, to, is to <laughs> live in Toronto. Yes. Um, all right. So Redemption Dogs, uh, redemptiondogs.com is the website. Covetedcanines.org is where you can go if you want to find uh, more information or if you want to apply to adopt uh, or foster. And as they mentioned, as the ladies mentioned, they need to find more foster parents and families for the dogs. You can also go online and see some of the dogs that are up for adoption as well. And uh, you can check out this event that they have tomorrow. So you're listening to the Paychen Show here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thank you both so much. I know that <laughs> the pups just had to walk out the door yeah. for a little bit, but thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having us, and I really hope people consider fostering. Yeah, I, you know what? Knowing now um, that it's not a huge time commitment and that you actually provide everything, mm-hmm. I don't have to start from the ground up, mm-hmm. is fantastic. So it's great. So coming up after the break, we'll tell you how you can vote for your favorite new restaurant and how you could possibly win a trip for two out of it as well. We're taking a quick break here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Chen Show continues on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. 
Welcome back to the show. Uh, if you are interested in uh, fostering, based on the last guest I had in studio, it's Coveted Canines. Org. A few of you have texted in, uh, curious to find out more. And that's where you can go to find out info and uh, also to apply. Because I was just talking with the two ladies there uh, from Covered Canines. And I thought, well, you know what? This is something I could do. I could definitely do that. You know, two to four week commitment and they provide everything the dog needs. So just to make sure that you are really ready for it and that it's something you can do, you might want to check out their website, Covered Canines. Dot com. Now, I was mentioning off the top of the show that this uh, today's show is for the animal lovers, so we've talked about that, and the food lovers. I have Amy Rosen on the line. She's a cookbook author, also a food writer. Hi, Amy. Hi. So, and I, a dog lover. And a dog. Really? I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So you're a little bit of everything now. And I don't have one, but maybe I'll, I'll go with you to this place. We should foster dogs, and then we could meet up, and we could take them for walks, and then... And then um, snacks. And what? And have snacks, yeah. Well, that's the thing, is we have to eat as we go along. So, uh, Amy, you're one of the panelists uh, for the uh, for Air Canada En Route magazine's Canada's Best New Restaurants list. So there's a list out now. Um, the restaurants uh, are from coast to coast. There are six in Toronto, mm-hmm. and people are encouraged to go online and vote for their favorite. And there is a bit of an incentive if you go on line and vote, you also have a chance to win a trip for two and a chance to go to the restaurant of your choice. Um, now, and $500 spending money from what I've heard. Well, that's a pretty great uh, day, yeah. I would think. So who decides on this list that we're seeing out there now? Okay, so I don't know if you know, but I started this as the first well. leader, set the template, you know, I don't like to call myself a hero. Um, <laughs> How about a trailblazer? Exactly. Uh, about 15 years ago. And ever since, we've explained every year how it works, and still nobody understands. So I <laughs> welcome this opportunity. We're trying to understand. I want to understand. Thank so you. now the list, uh, just to give people an idea, like, so in Toronto, Allo, for example, is a, a restaurant that has been written about a lot. It's gotten top ratings, um, and that's Spadina and Queen Street. Antler Restaurant, uh, Dundas West, another restaurant called uh, Chabrol, which is a French restaurant, uh, the Commodore, which is a really tiny, great tiny little restaurant that I've eaten at in Parkdale, um, Norden, Piano Piano, uh, and just outside of the Toronto area, Backhouse from Niagara-on-the-Lake is on the list, the Berlin in Kitchener. So the list that's come out, there's 35 nominees from across Canada. Yeah. How did you? How did they come to thirty-five? Yeah, with all the with all the new restaurants in Canada, that's the key. The best new restaurants mm-hmm. from June to June. Some people squeak into the next year or the previous year. Right. Um, you have panelists um, who eat a lot, who know a lot about food and wine, from across the country, in major cities and in small towns, and they send in uh, five to seven of their picks of their favorite new restaurants of the year. So in come about over 100 picks easily, I would say. And then uh, the en route editors and staff and Andrew, who's going to be eating his way across Canada. And we have to say our reasons why mm-hmm. we're nominating these restaurants. Okay. With specifics, okay? So that's the first level. Then en route does extra research. And based on overlap, of course, with the panelists, so if everyone put down aloe, aloe's going to be one of the restaurants Andrew eats at. Right. Um, so in the end, they narrow it down to a, about 40 restaurants, mm-hmm. uh, maybe 50, depending on the year. And then one person, Andrew, eats across 
the country for a month straight. I won't wow. tell you what month. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with some stops here and there for, you know, breathers. And that way you get the extreme experience of be- comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. So it is all his decision. So one person, so Andrew is, uh, he's a food writer, right? He's someone who knows about food. He's not just someone oh, that they yeah. picked no, off the street. A, a very well-known food writer. He actually lives in San Francisco right now. Mm-hmm. He is invisible. No one in any of the restaurants, we hope, uh, knows what he looks like. Um, he's an excellent writer as well, and he knows all about wines and cocktails. He's, he's really well-rounded and, and quite the athlete, I might add. Oh, oh so, you have to be, I think, <laughs> exactly. to eat so, this way. Um, so the final decision is his of the top ten. However, a few years ago, the magazine came up with the, the eat and vote thing, which is really fun and more inclusive. So what people are voting for for this is the People's Choice Award. Okay. Yeah. So they can go online um, and so eatandvote.com and they can vote for their, their favorite restaurant out of the 35 that are on the list Correct. right yeah. now. And then that becomes People's Choice. Now, you are some, so you're a panelist. What makes a, a new restaurant stand out in your mind as being worthy of being you know, the, one of the top restaurants in Canada? Okay, so let's say Backhouse, for example, mm-hmm. um, which which I, I will admit that I that was one of my nominations. So when you have a new restaurant, throwing things around like words like integrated sustainable cooking and cool climate cuisine, like that's interesting. Okay, what what does this mean? And then you experience it, and the fact that they're just growing and raising everything there. They built the restaurant by hand from. From wow. logs they grew, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everything's cooked over fire in front of you. So I'm like, these people are from a previous century, and I'm so <laughs> glad that they've joined us in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're having an experience. Everything is delicious. Everything is homemade with love. And you remember the meal you had for, you know, weeks to come, and you recommend it to everyone. That, so, to me, makes a good restaurant. Because you've been doing this for quite a few years, and, you know, seeing as you started the list. Yes, and, I have started dyeing my hair. It is true. <laughs> you've been around for a really long exactly. time, Amy Rosen. Um, and so I'm sure that you've seen, you've probably eaten a lot of meals that someone who doesn't... Um, you know, do food for a living might go, oh my God, this is exceptional. This is extraordinary. But for you, it might be like, you know what? I've had, I've had fried chicken a million times. It doesn't stand out. So I, I feel like, uh, someone like you might be harder to impress or even to serve you something that's, that, uh, is memorable. No, like I'm actually really easy to impress. Um, <laughs> like I went, Noted. <laughs> you know, one of, one of my picks that didn't, I guess, make, uh, the cut was maker pizza. Yes. I ate there yesterday. And I bit into that pizza, and it's like, I can't believe it's delivery. Like, although I think that's some fast food or whatever. <laughs> but um, it, it's just like astounding toppings, thoughtful, you know, seeded crust, a drizzle mm-hmm. of honey, frizzled rosemary. Like, the first year I did it, uh, I named a taco shack in the wilds of Tofino as one of the best restaurants. Did anyone give you flack for that? Everyone did, oh. but it's... It, it was Sobo. It grew into a restaurant. Um, so I think I have proven my uh, my worth in that one. You're it's, like, it's like one of the best restaurants in Tofino. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, and you've also been 
Andrew. Like, so Andrew is the one who is going to eat at all of the top restaurants. And uh, I had asked you uh, before this interview, I said, well, why wouldn't you, instead of making one person eat all the meals, mm-hmm. um, I suppose the argument could be, well, why don't you get someone in Quebec to do all the Quebec restaurants? Why don't you get someone out West to cover the West? But it's very hard to compare. It's not the same person. So comparing their notes could be very different. Exactly. I mean, there has been thought over the years because it is, it, look, it's fun, but it's also grueling. After two years, I said, forget it, you know. I'd be, I'd be out with a, a big football-playing friend in Victoria, and he'd be like, oh, I'm not eating it again for another week. I'm like, I have to do it again tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying, mister? Yeah. So the reason it is one person is because it's it's someone who's skilled enough to to know, you know, to speak to the trends that, you know, they're also repeating on or reporting on. And, you know, to know this fish compared to this fish compared to this fish. Right. You know, this service compared to that service, this sommelier compared to that. If you're not the one eating at all of them, you can't compare. And you're, you're, you're just not comparing like things with the same palate. And uh, that's why it's, it's a... Only five people have done this since it started. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay, um, Amy, I'm going to ask you if you can stick around for a few more minutes. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I want to ask you a little bit more about uh, when you had to eat at all of the restaurants and how you, if you even enjoyed it after having, let's say, three dinners in a day. And also, we'll, uh, we'll talk about your buns, basically. Uh-huh. I, I think we should mention that, something about your buns in the city. We're taking a quick break here on the Page Show. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Where opinions are celebrated. The Pay Chen Show on News Talk 1010. Thanks for joining me today. You can text in at 71010. Uh, I have on the line Amy Rosen, who is a cookbook author, food writer, and uh, we've been talking about uh, the Canada's Best New Restaurants list, which is coming out in uh, the no- November issue of En Route Magazine. And Amy actually started this whole thing 15 years ago. Uh, now you're a panelist, so that means you submit your your picks in terms of who should be on the nomination, the nominees, right? Yes. But you did start... In my city, in my city. In your city, okay. Because the restaurants um, that are nominated, there's 35 of them. They go across the country. So there's restaurants probably from every uh, major city. And when it started, you were the person who ate at all of them. Yes, and back then, it was... I had to eat at about 60 restaurants uh, in about three weeks. They toned it down a bit because it was... Like, a day in the life was wake up, eat a banana, walk for five hours, then eat for ten hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so how many... Then get on a plane. Were you able to do lunch uh, or dinner, or did it always have to be dinner? So the first year, there were some lunches, because we were really trying to pack it in. Because, again, it was the first time. We didn't know what we were doing. We were making it up as we went. Um, and then, you know, after a few, a couple of weeks of that, and also sometimes I was taking two flights a day, I just said, you know what, we got to simmer down a bit and <laughs> it has to be all dinners because, you know, a lot as you've been to restaurants, I assume, and you know yeah. that the lunch menu is often quite different from the dinner menu. It can be very different. Experience. Yeah. So uh, we cut those right away. We cut those out. So the person who eats now is uh, Andrew, who's a, a great food writer, and he has to eat at all the restaurants in the span of about 30 days. He's got about a month, right? Yeah. Now, when... Um, 
I assume what he will be looking for is what you were looking for. When you go to a restaurant and you are narrowing it down to top 10, uh, what are you um, judging them on? Everything, right? So not like, oh, are the glasses clean? Like not, it's not like a Michelin-starred rating. It's not, for me, it's not often about minutia. It's mm-hmm. about, number one, overall deliciousness mm-hmm. and how I feel, um, you know, mentally and physically, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, do I leave smiling? How is the hospitality? Or am I relaxed? Am I enjoying myself? Mm-hmm. Is the person I'm with enjoying themselves? Because uh, you're not going around eating by yourself, by the way, because right. that, that seems, you know, super fishy if you're doing that everywhere. Right. Um, you know, it's all booked ahead by someone else, fake names and all of that. Wow. Yeah. So uh, It's quite a project because you don't want anyone to know that you're there. Uh, assessing that particular meal. No, it's, and you know, you go to the washroom to make notes like you, it is, I think it's maintained it's, uh, what's the word, like when you're secret? Um, I want to say like anonymity or... That's the word. That's the word oh, I was looking for. I'm good for very you, good okay. at this game. Thank we you, Amy. passwords Thank you. Well, well, that's the only word I can come up with. I can't okay. come up with any other words. Um, so people can, uh, they can vote for their favorite at eatandvote.com. And as we mentioned, uh, the incentive to, to vote online for your favorite restaurant, uh, one is that you could win a trip. Um, but also I, I think um, if you do have a favorite, it can really do great things for that small business. Yeah. For me, that would be number one, like a restaurant I love for them to win. Although it will mean that it'll be harder to get a reservation for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, it does great things for these restaurants. When they're on that list, they'll tell you, like, overnight, you know, sales increase by 500% for some of them. Well, for a lot of the restaurants, they're small, independently owned restaurants who, that don't have the money for advertising exactly. and marketing. And, you know, the good thing with social media is that that can help propel it. But for some, it could be a restaurant that is not great on social media. So yeah. uh, for people to know that this, this little restaurant in, let's say, you know, Kitchener uh, might be a, a fantastic place that people would travel to go and eat at. Um, so and let's the other o- thing is, yeah. to that point, um, the list is on an airplane, right? So mm-hmm. for travelers who aren't from Canada even, they rip that list out of the magazine. You know, it's an insert and booklet form as well with all the addresses. So, and they go straight. Now they know where they're eating in the cities they land in. Which is fantastic. And, you know, I think it all goes back to just wanting to promote small businesses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to your job as a panelist, uh, let's talk about something, the, the next project you have coming up, which is your buns. Yay. <laughs> so you might want to expand on the fact that they're cinnamon buns. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say your buns. I know. You love saying that. Yes. Um, yeah. Rosen cinnamon buns will be opening in October. Um, at College in Ossington, and homemade, fresh, warm buns all day long um, using organic dairy. Nice. Um, a couple of secret spices and uh, a whole lot of love. Now, you're opening up this shop, uh, which is, I think a lot of people said, well, wow, as a food writer who d- and travel writer, too, you were all over the world, and, and now you, you're opening up your own little spot. Why cinnamon buns? Um, I had an epiphany, <laughs> and so yes, I do travel a lot. I have been traveling. I still will be traveling a lot, but mm-hmm. not for the next year. Um, and I had been maybe traveling too much around December. I was away almost a whole month. Um, all, I'm not going to say where I was because people roll their eyes and, and go, "Oh, poor baby, Vienna, <laughs> Provence, blah blah blah." <laughs> world's tiniest violin. But I went uh, to my parents' cottage. The whole family's up there, 14 people. 
I, I have always cooked cinnamon buns. Like, this is something I normally do. I've been on camping trips uh, for stories. And so when I, when I came up with this idea, when I started telling people about it, they're like, oh, yeah, remember that time you made cinnamon buns for us? you know, along the river in uh, Manitoba's Blood Vein <laughs> River. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And, oh, and remember that time at House and Home Magazine? You showed us the five-minute method. I'm like, oh, yeah. So I thought it was actually an instant epiphany, but I think my life has been building towards this point. I think it, they were waiting for you to catch on. They were waiting for you to actually have the epiphany. It was kind <laughs> exactly. of like your life, it's something. Slow burn, slow burn. I'm always <laughs> this, the last to get the punchline. This Spend great out. power was like, come on, you exactly. keep making cinnamon buns. Come on, just so we're get sitting it. sitting around the table, 14 of us, like I'm looking at my one-and-a-half-year-old niece and my 70-something father and everyone in between, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the one thing we can all agree on. Everyone loves cinnamon buns. So I said out loud, maybe I should, because I, I wanted to stay home a bit more is what, you know, the bottom line was also. Yeah. I said, maybe I should open up a cinnamon bun bakery. And my younger brother, who is my greatest detractor, he's like, <laughs> you know what? That's actually a good idea. Wow. And then I started asking my chef friends and baker friends, and mm-hmm. they're like, you should, and you could. And and so I did. So it's happening. So in October, people can start uh, going to your shop. And I love, it's unique because there is no other, I mean, there's um, the, the, the cinnamon bun chain, which is totally different. But in terms of there being very specific shops, there are, I don't think of a shop that sells a only lot, cinnamon yeah. buns. So a lot of people have them on weekends and everyone lines up or at the farmer's market because mm-hmm. once those pans, you know, those two to six pans are gone, they're gone. The difference here is fresh buns all day long that don't burn acid into the back of your throat. You know, that is really should be your marketing line. <laughs> Fresh buns all day long that don't burn, burn acid in the back of your throat. You can fit it onto a... Well, I, and I do feel quite lucky to have your, one of your first gift certificates. Yeah. So... Um, I want to be lining up for my free bun. You might uh, want to frame it. I might. I probably will. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much, Amy. Good luck with the with the buns. Thanks for having me with your buns, and uh, we'll definitely be checking that out. All right. Thanks, Amy. That's Amy Rosen. And again, if you want to vote for your favorite restaurant, it's eatandvote.com. And you do uh, have a chance to win a trip through uh, Air Canada as well there. Now, the, uh, um, I wanted to talk about um, this article that I found. It's uh, the New York Daily News. They came up with a story of discontinued Olympic sports. Since we're kind of like in the last few days of the Olympics right now, by the way, I totally got on the Olympic bandwagon. I know last week I was saying that I I felt like um, I hadn't really paid much attention to it when it was when it was starting or the lead up of it anyway. But I am so into it, and I just love. I really am fascinated by race walking. Like you're like yeah, you're just you're walking. They walk. I think 50k. Like it's really far, and they walk faster than I run. So just to give you a little bit of trivia, if you want to share it at the water cooler at the office on Monday morning, um, a discontinued Olympic sport, club swinging. It was one of the gymnastic disciplines, and uh, it only appeared twice in the Olympic Games in 1904 and in 1932. But let's pay attention to the gap in those years, because let's say in 1904, you saw club swinging and you're like, I'm going to train for that for the next Olympics. Well, it didn't happen again until 1932. And after that, well, you had no chance of doing it ever again. Um, There was also the standing high jump that appeared in the Olympics from 1900 to 1912. Kind of a challenge because you don't get to run and, and, you know, get momentum. So you just basically stand and then have to kind of 
vault and jump over a high bar. Uh, the world record was set by U.S. athlete Ray Uri in 1908, uh, which was pretty impressive. He, he leapt over 1.65 meter high bar. And what was really impressive about him was that he actually spent most of his childhood in a wheelchair because of polio. Now, the other favorite of mine, I have to say, in terms of discontinued Olympic sports, which I think should be brought back, is tug of war. 1900 to 1920. Uh, and that was it. But it was originally featured in the ancient Olympics, which were first held in 500 BC. But I, come on, tug of war as an Olympic sport, that'd be so fun to watch. Uh, thanks for joining me today. And thanks for your text messages as well. And for those of you who are texting and asking about fostering a dog based on the, the guest I had earlier, it's covetedcanines.org. You can find information there. You can also apply to foster a pup, which I think I'm going to do. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. And I'll be back next Saturday. Thank you.